0: Father, Papa God, our creator, we come into your presence with humble and grateful hearts, seeking your glory, wisdom, and guidance. We rejoice today knowing you sit on the throne of heaven and you walk with each of us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your generosity through your word sacrifice of your son Jesus our hearts cry out to you on behalf of those around us who do not yet do not yet know you as Lord and Savior may we with your compassion as you teach us how to love now father open our ears that we may hear your words of truth Open our eyes that we walk boldly, Jesus. And open our hearts that we may walk boldly and obediently according to your word and that we entrust our souls to you. We come to you today in the power of Jesus' holy and mighty name. Amen.
1: Thank you, Pam. You can be seated. We're coming uh, to the end of 1 Peter. We're coming to the end of the letter that Peter wrote to these elect exiles, people he cared for, people he loved, people he's pastoring and shepherding. And we're going to come to some of these these final points, and, and Peter's going to be very, very clear in these last few passages of Scripture in how he is instructing them. We, we've entitled this series, The Exile's Guide to Life. And this morning, how to prepare is really some very, very practical tools on how to prepare for suffering. Now many of us in this room, we're not coming this morning thinking that's something I want to prepare for, not how do we actually prepare. We're trying to figure out how do we avoid suffering at all costs, not how do we actually prepare for it. And I think it's important that Peter is speaking to these elect exiles, and he's telling them that it is an expectation that they must have knowing that they will face persecution. And we're going to read here in just a little bit about how it's very prophetic in nature of what they would suffer and what they would experience, that being... Christians, it uses in the text, which is is one of the very few places, I think it's only used three times in the New Testament, this is one of the very few times, and it's an identification with Christ, that if you are a Christ follower, you will suffer as Christ has suffered. Now to the us here in the Western Church, we come this morning and we gather safely. We come into this room where we get to gather and we get to proclaim loudly and we get to sing loudly and we get to applause loudly and, and, and we get to walk grasp safely. And and there's a lot here that we don't come to really grasp or understand, where many of our faithful brothers and sisters in Christ all across the world are facing extreme, extreme persecution. There's a lot that we have to do here this morning to kind of help us contextualize. And we're going to do our best to be able to do that. But There's an idea in this that that we are preparing, that we are to get ready, that it's not about avoiding. It's about, hey, there's there's something coming. Now, if you're here and you're in the United States, like, hey, we've been saying that for years. I I I pray this morning that this is not a prophetic word for us in the United States. I I pray this morning and I hope this morning that there are many years of the fact that we can proclaim boldly and loudly without any fear of persecution. But I'm afraid that, that I think I've, not the case. I recently was listening to a podcast, and I think I've shared this before, but there's been seasons within Christendom um, where, particularly kind of focusing in here on the United States, where personal Christian. Would, would, would be positive to our personal status. We would gain status. And there was a time in which kind of the, the growth season, like 1990s to 2004, where like write that down on your resume to be a Christian. People looked on you. It was, it was good. Like write that down on your resume and things are going to go well for you. And since 2004 to 2011, it was neutral, it's kind of neutral standing, like, and, and we're in a season, we're entering into a season where it's actually negative, that there's actually animosity towards what it means to be a Christian, and that you're not looked upon as someone who is benefiting culture, but someone who's actually, they, they look at us and, and they say there's a hatred towards culture, which that's not our posture. In many ways, we, we look at what the early Christians were blamed for and the things that they put upon them as a weight, and I'm just wondering, are, are those the things that we're going to be blamed for? Are those the things that we're going to suffer under? And, and how do we stand in the midst of this? What's our role? What's our responsibility? And so today, it's how do we prepare for suffering? And if, if I were to spend, I, I feel like I need to be faithful to the text, but if, if I were to say, like, where would I kind of wait this sermon, I would wait it on the very first word, beloved. That one word is enough for us today, Beloved. To be faithful to every single thing God has asked us to do. You in us in this passage in verse 12, the very first word is, "You are loved." That may be the only message many of us need to hear this morning. You're loved. Of depression, you're experiencing mourning, and you're experiencing pain, you're experiencing some sense of depression, you're experiencing some sense of anxiety, you're experiencing some sense of fear. And God the Father wants to speak to you this morning one word, beloved, you are loved. Now, we might ask, why in the world would this term be used in in dealing with suffering? And if you're anything like me, a lot of times when I'm facing, and I'm going to use the word suffering this morning, and I'm not in any way comparing the suffering I've seen to the suffering I'm going to describe here in a second that these elect exiles are. But when I know that they are drastically different, but I know that when I experience any type of suffering, which seems heavy and real and in my life, is immediately I begin to think, I must have that, that there must be something in my life that, that, that God is not happy with me and because of that, I'm experiencing this, this pain and suffering, and we're gonna read later on that there actually is some suffering that we deserve that we have caused. But for the sake of following Jesus, there's there's pain that enters, there's suffering that enters, there's persecution that enters, and we may begin to question: does God really love me? Is God present? Is God here? Is God aware? And, and we think about the persecution that the many of our faithful brothers and sisters, have, they, they must ask, God, if you care, if you're powerful, you use one of the, the, the many ways that those outside of faith tend to use. If God were all powerful, if God was all loving, then why wouldn't he stop suffering in the world? So it's the very thing that we would question the nature and care that comes from when we're suffering. And the very questions and doubts that comes from critics of Christianity is where is your God when you're suffering? And what he's going to tell us right here, beloved, don't ever question it. There's nothing you can do to gain more of his love. There's nothing you can do to lose any of his love. You are his beloved. Now what's interesting in 2 Peter, it's on the opposite page of my text that I'm reading here this morning, 2 Peter 1, 16 through 17, it says this, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's like, it's not a myth. And what he's doing is he's instilling in them this encouragement and this God, this passion of going like, hey, this isn't a myth. It's not like we're, we're believing in this God that is, is somewhere out there, but you don't see him, and you're not experiencing him. And many of the critics are going to come and be like, where is your God? He's like, we're not following a myth. We have seen the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty for when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is what was said. said, this is my beloved Son. Guess what? The very word that was spoken over Jesus was the word beloved. We might ask, Jesus was loved by the Father, but yet he suffered. So may we never question the love of God, the character and goodness of God Suffering comes to us not in the absence of God, but through the love of God. Number two, suffering is a normal experience for followers of Christ. Peter uses these two words in this text, Beloved, strange were prized at the fiery trial when it comes to test you as though something strange were happening to you. There's a sense where these new believers in Jesus, these new followers of Christ, they come into relationship with Jesus, and in many ways, they've been living in relationship with the city in a, in a way that, 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 that really wasn't experiencing this suffering and persecution. But all of a sudden, they become followers of Jesus, and all of a sudden, they're the outcast. All of a sudden, there's insults coming their way. And what Peter is wanting to speak of, the, of them is, this is normal. How many of us, we, we tend to experience certain things in life when we're like, is this normal? Like, am I supposed to have a rash after this? Is my kid supposed to act this way? Uh, you know, if I do this, and, and we always ask, we want to know what is the normal experience. And we have tended to, to grow up into a Christianity where persecution and suffering is not normal. And so for many of us here, we tend to believe that when we experience suffering and persecution, something must be wrong. But Peter is saying, no. It is the normal state of believers in Jesus. In fact, Jesus said himself in Matthew chapter 24 that we should expect this. Follow along with me, verses 6 through 9. He said, in the end times, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars, and see that you're not alarmed. Again, there's that surprising word, that shocked, for this must take place, but the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these are death and birth pains, then they'll deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated, by all nations for my name's sake. If you follow Christ, you will be hated. Prophetic in nature, it's coming. This was prophetic in nature because Peter is writing here in like around 60 AD. And this is gonna precede. The the big fire in Rome where where the fire would burn through the city of Rome and people would lose businesses, pe- people would lose their livelihood, and and Nero, the, the, the emperor, the king at that time, would come back and they needed someone to blame. And they decided, let's let's blame the Christians. And so we we see that this this is put upon them and 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 they would suffer the, the fiery trial that many of them would experience. As Philip Carrington wrote in his research, The Early Christian Church, it said, These early Christians would be subjects of sport. They would be covered in hides of wild beasts, and they would would come in the middle of an arena in a stadium. And lions would come and devour them. They were set up. The title was given to them. They would be evening lights. They would be set in the middle of the city and lit on fire. To be evening lights. I mean, you can, you can look and to follow Jesus, it, it wouldn't be this, this easy decision. Following Jesus in this time, in this this error would be one of entering and subjecting yourself to severe, extreme persecution. He's saying, "Don't be surprised. Don't think this is strange. Number three. Suffering, none of us, opportunity to worship. And I know, like, none of us experiencing any type of suffering, any type of pain, go, hey, you know what we should do? We should throw a celebration. That's not the first thing that comes to mind. And we must look and we must read in this text, of what, what does it mean? Because he says, you're gonna experience fiery trials. You're gonna experience things that are going to test you and and you're gonna think that it's something strange happening to you, but verse 13, rejoice. Rejoice in this. As you share Christ's sufferings that you may rejoice and be glad when? Not in the midst of the suffering, but when glory is revealed. What he's speaking to a question I moment is, hey, there's something you can look forward to. A question I love to ask everyone because I think we all need something to look forward to. We need a hope. I always ask people like, hey, what's on the horizon that you look forward to? on the horizon you look forward to, you know, something that you're going to do with your family, with your friends. What's something on the horizon you look forward to? And, and ultimately, this is Peter saying, hey, we have something to look forward to. There is a glory that's going to be revealed. There is something that's happening. God is at work behind our suffering and pain to accomplish something, to bring about something in your life. And that's something worth rejoicing in, worth celebrating. None of us are happy about suffering and pain, but we're happy about what it's going to bring about. When I think about this text and I read through, what are, what are some of the things we can rejoice in? One, we rejoice in this purifying work of suffering. There's a purifying work of suffering that we read this, it's a fiery trial. This, this word is used in a sense, it's a burning away of things that are non-essential, that God is going to do a work in us. That he's going to purify us. That it is going to experience some... The idols are going to be removed in our life. That we are going to experience some suffering and pain to figure out what do I, what do I really believe. It's a test. And it's meant to purify you. It's meant to sanctify you. It's meant to change you and transform you. Not only that, not only is it purifying and we should rejoice in that, it's unifying. We read in this text that we share in Christ's sufferings. As people who have experienced some of the pain and suffering and persecution that Jesus is facing, we recognize that that shows and illustrates our union with Christ, It should show that we are in relationship with Jesus Christ, that if we are insulted in the way Jesus is, it shows that we are in union with him. Not only that, we see that it is producing. It's going to produce something. Count it all James chapter 1, 2 through 4 describes this. Count it all joy. Here's that word rejoice again when you meet trials of various kinds. Why? What does it produce? For you know that the testing of your faith, it produces a steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect. Is there more? Was that verse five? So I don't have the rest of it. So that you may be complete, lacking in nothing, is basically what it would share. There is something your maturity... Is at stake through suffering. There is things that you will never experience in life without suffering. D. A. Carson says, "Show me the Christian who has suffered little, and I will show you an immature Christian." Interviewed me on through Fellowship Associates residency. One of the questions that they kind of interviewed me on was, "What have you suffered in life?" Because they believed without suffering, you will never be a faithful church planner. You'll never be a faithful pastor. Things that, that a great shepherd, unless you've experienced suffering. Because there is some things that, that you lack without suffering. And so we can rejoice in that. But not only is it purifying, not only is it unifying, not only is it producing and it's building something in us, but it is glorifying. That there is something that it is pointing to, that there is going to be a moment in time where we are so captivated by the beauty of Jesus that we look upon him and we say, everything I faced on this earth, the pain, the experiences, the persecution, the trials, it's worth it because of his beauty. It's worth it. It's worth it. And it says that when we experience suffering, the glory of Christ rests upon you. Do you want the glory of Christ to rest upon you? Stephen, famous martyr in Acts chapter 7, he received death by stoning. And it says, in the midst of being stoned to death, it says in Acts chapter 3 of God, raised into heaven and saw the glory of God. That's the experience that Peter's describing. That many of the people that would suffer this persecution and pain, that in the midst of their suffering, what allows them to endure is that the glory of Christ is resting upon them. Number four, suffering will cause you to stand with the world or stand with Christ. It goes in on in verse 14, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are what? Blessed. You're blessed. Because the Spirit of glory and God rests upon you. But it says in verse 15, but let none of you suffer, let none of your suffering that you experience, the pain that you experience, come to you because you've caused it, because you deserve it. It says that may you not suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. I don't think that these are just, you know, these are the four things that are tempted with. I think this is, uh, it's the beginning of a list of going, hey, in your suffering, Many of you are just going to be tempted just to stand with the world. You're going to cave in. There's going to be a moment where you just choose to sin that you choose to cause of persecution from the Lord and fall in line with the world because of persecution. One of the interesting things when we talked about like bringing this into our context and the thing that a lot of the commentators talk about me at work, don't let us bring this in like, you know, the other day, someone kind of said something about me at work, you know, because I was a Christian. And I, I, I'm not belittling that, but there, this is a whole different level of persecution. But here's what is similar. Every day, we make decisions in our life that either, one, cause us to gain status with the world or lose status with the world. And there's going to be moments where, as he describes, that to just kind of fall in line with the world means that we would fall into these areas of sin, and to fall into these areas of sin would cause us to gain status with the world. And Jesus is one who lost all status. We just covered Philippians this last, you know, year, and we talked about that he, like, lowered himself, he humbled himself, he he removed any earthly status of himself to, to be praised and glorified, and he took on the nature of a servant. he lowered this kind of us, And I think for many of us, that's where this kind of hits home. Like, how many of the decisions that you make on a regular basis are out to gain the status of the world? To be seen in a, in a more... Uh, maybe a a, a way in which that it gains the attention of the world. And what he basically says is, may we not suffer in life because there will come suffering for those who choose that route. May we not suffer because we chose that route. May we suffer because of Jesus. One, One person said, may we be persecuted for the gospel and the gospel alone. May that be the only reason we face suffering, not because we've engaged in sin. I I think back several years ago, I first heard that our video of Francis Chan describing persecution that our, our brothers and sisters in Christ are facing. And what shocked me is at the very end, he said, They ask for us to pray for them, which seems normal. Pray for them in their suffering. But what he asked them to pray for was what was shocking. They said, pray not for us to be released from suffering. Pray not for the suffering to stop, but a willingness to endure. What I read in this text is, because it goes on, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. You may feel like you've lost status, but in Christ, may we stand with him and be able to endure. Let him glorify God in that name. We would not experience suffering. May we pray not that we would not experience suffering, but that when suffering comes, we would be willing to endure. Number five, no one is immune to suffering. You may think, well, I don't know, this doesn't sound very appealing. Maybe you showed up here for the first time today, and you're like, hey, I'm going to give Christianity a shot. I'm going to see what Jesus is all about. And then you heard this crazy pastor get up and share about enduring suffering and walking in suffering and that it's coming. And you're like, well, I I don't know that I'm going to choose that that, that route. I think I'll, I'll go a different way. No one is immune to suffering. You will either experience the fiery trials of life here or you will experience the fiery trial of judgment in the end. There's no out. The text says this, for it is, and if it begins judgment, and where does judgment begin? At the household of God. And if it begins with us, if we're going to experience pain and suffering and trials, what will be the outcome for those who do, do not obey the gospel of God? If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and sinner? And there's a sense when we, we read this, we, we experience all of us will face suffering. All of us will experience pain. The question is, is will you experience that pain here today or in the fiery trial to come? It's a question. It's a, it's a moment to pause. But not only that, I believe that it's because of this very text that many of those who were persecuted for their faith were able to look at their persecutors and have compassion towards them. Because I don't read this text and be like, it's not only like, hey, I'm going to escape that, and that's glorious. But it also makes me compassionate and it makes my heart want to say that that motivates me and compels me to make sure that every person knows that a fiery trial is coming. It's either coming by the hand of God or it's coming through judgment in the end. And if, if the outcome of that is going to be even worse for those who do not obey the gospel of God, I don't sit From my posture and place in the kingdom of God, not only just going, thankful, but I go, I need to make sure everyone knows and bring them with me. Where it gets to the last point. Number six, we are empowered in our suffering to not only die for Jesus, but boldly live for Jesus according to God's will. 19, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will. It's his plan. What does it say? Entrust their souls. The word entrust literally means to give over your life, to say, Lord, here's my life. Do with it what you will, your will. God, your will in my life. Lord, I give you my life. I entrust you with my life. You are the faithful creator of all the universe. Who greater than to put our hands in, in our life in, to trust that we go, Lord, you have my life. Here is my life. I entrust it to you. I lay down my rights. I give it to you. And in doing so, in the midst of persecution and suffering, we're busy. Any type of suffering. I know for me, I have not experienced any type of suffering like the audience that that Peter's writing to here, but I know that I have been derailed in my work for the Lord in the midst of pain and things that I've experienced in my life but yet here he is asking them in the midst of this entrust your life give over your life lay your life before the faithful creator while getting busy doing good it's not a time to be asleep it's not a time to mourn it's not a time to rest and say pity me it's not a time to feel like I'm entitled to step into sinful ways. It's a time to get busy for the work of the Lord. And what's interesting is when I read this text, I go, it's, it's urgent. There, there's, a, there's a moment in time where I go, we're, we're not experiencing this pain. We're Jesus experiencing this persecution. So how much more should we boldly live for Jesus when we know that there's no consequences for doing so? that we're not going to be lit up in the night sky as evening lights, that we're not going to be taken and and put in the middle of the the arena or the the RSL soccer stadium and and thrown and fed to lions. But, But yet, we're so quiet. He's called us to give of our life, to entrust our life to a faithful creator and to get busy while doing good. So church, we're going to waste no time this, this morning. May we entrust our souls, Lord, to a faithful creator while doing good and boldly live for Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed.